Hi, welcome to a brand new podcast called Owning Your Recovery. You made the decision to look at your life from a different perspective and realize that the destructive behavior of addiction does not serve you anymore. The grip of addiction can be strong, especially when times are tough. This podcast is created to remind you that ups and downs in life are normal and to provide you with professional and peer-related insights and supports in your recovery from illness to wellness. My name is Kinga Burjan. I'm a registered psychotherapist in Ontario, Canada, working with Trafalgar Addiction Treatment Centers. I have personal and professional experience with addiction and recovery. My goal is to help you connect with your inner strength and motivation to continue focusing on your wellness through having unique conversations around addiction and mental health with professionals and peers who have insights to support your wellness journey. Today, my guest is also one of my colleagues, Lydia Forge, a registered social worker. Thank you so much, Lydia, for joining me today and sharing some of the work that you've done and the experience you've had with working with a multitude of clients at Trafalgar and elsewhere. So welcome. Thank you. I'd I'd like to start with your perspective about what codependency is and how it can interfere with recovery. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a interesting topic because depending on where we come from, for a lot of people, codependence actually sounds like a really good thing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you come from a collectivist culture, you're all, you know, a lot of people have this idea that, you know, it, it's what the community needs, right? Everything is for the community. Um, you know, if you come from a family environment where, you know, you're always tending to mom or dad's emotional well-being um, or physical well-being, right? It's, it's a good thing. It looks like a good thing to take care of others and to consider everybody's needs before your own. But the challenge comes when you put people so much more, people's needs so much, so ahead of you that you forget yourself and you be, you start to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. So the way I kind of like to look at addiction is a form of, uh, uh, sorry, at, at codependence is a form of addiction. So I, I see it as kind of like the addiction to needing someone or the addiction to being needed, mm-hmm. right? So um, that's kind of like my my observation. Um, and oftentimes what happens is whenever you're in a codependent relationship, because it is an addiction, the person is going to react when you take away their fix, right? So if their fix is to make you better when you're better, what's their purpose? Mm-hmm. If their fix is to have someone help them and to focus on them, when you start focusing on yourself, what's their fix? Right. Mm-hmm. And so that means that they might start having certain behaviors that are going to try to bring you back into that role. So that might look like gaslighting um, or, you know, having you question such as question, having you question your own sanity. And no, 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 you, you don't you don't mean that you don't need that or questioning whatever you're doing. So I always encourage people to look into gaslighting and narcissism um, as ways to kind of see, hey, am I falling in some of those patterns right now? So it's interesting. I, I love how you said that people forget themselves. Like you forget yourself mm-hmm. yeah. in codependency, totally. right? But it can yeah. also be the opposite end where it's only about you. Yeah. So it's interesting when you're talking and you're saying um, that it's an addiction to being needed. When you start changing that, then you're kind of like changing the dance with that person. Mm, yes. And like with any dance, there's 
you know, any dance that you change with someone, you're likely going to step on their toes at first, or they're going to step on your toes. Yes, absolutely. If you're not used to this new dance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I love that imagery because if let's say you were starting with Foxtrot and then you're like, now we're going to salsa, like (laughs) (laughs) there's going to be a bit of a confusion there. Right. And that confusion, when you decide you want to keep dancing salsa and the other's trying to dance Foxtrot, there's going to be some tension and frustration And you might Mm -hmm. notice that at the end of the day, you can't be dance partners anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And you might need to go into a Foxtrot community or a salsa community or whatever else you want to try, right? That's a really good point because some of our relationships, if they're based on unhealthy relationship dynamics and that other person isn't willing to change and grow with you, then it might not be the best dance partner anymore. And that's, there's a lot of grieving involved with that too and acceptance, Mm -hmm. which is a huge part in recovery. Yeah. And grieving, you know, like oftentimes when people think of grief, they think of death. But the purpose of grief Mm -hmm. is actually to help you transition from a season to another. Right. So that means a middle kid, Mm -hmm. a middle school kid who's going from middle school to high school might actually go through a process of grief. Right. Or if you come to a new country. Right. Mm -hmm. It might take you two years of grief to be able to adapt to that new country. Right. So same thing if you were used to a certain dance style or communication style or connection style or community in your addiction lifestyle and you're trying to go into sobriety, it makes sense that you're going to experience a lot of big feelings. Right. And to identify the grief and to recognize that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great points. And also, too, just to add, yeah, please. a lot of times grief can uh, mimic the symptoms of depression. Ooh, right. Good. So it's really important to acknowledge that when you are going through this change that maybe for a little bit depression symptoms might increase and it's not necessarily that you're doing anything wrong it's just part of that process Mm -hmm. of grief and letting go and giving yourself that space permission support um, to to take each day as one day at a time to move forward yeah. An imagery I like to use is surfing, right? So if you have this mm-hmm. big wave, right, and you're, you're on top of it, the wave is powerful and it's strong. And y- you can try to fight the wave, but you will likely lose. But if you choose to go with the wave and just let it flow, eventually you're going to come back down. So if you understand that grief mm-hmm. is not a disorder that needs to be medicated at that, uh, this is not depression at that time is not a, something that needs to be medicated, but just a wave that needs mm-hmm. to be ridden eventually I'll get back to shore. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's just to give yourself that space. I love that analogy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like Thank that. Thank you for sharing. No worries. All right. So we were, I asked you about codependency and mm-hmm. how it might interfere with recovery. And then I kind of took you off on a different tangent. No so worries. It was fun. <laughs> right in the wave. <laughs> so we more fun that way. Um, one thing that I like to think of whenever uh, I look at codependency as well is childhood, right? So a lot of you, when you went to Trafalgar, probably had a lot of conversations or resistant conversations about wanting to talk about childhood, right? But something I find helpful is to look at the five roles in dysfunctional families. Because oftentimes what happens is um, subconsciously, as children, uh, whenever we're in a family situation where things are not um, healthy for us, we'll subconsciously go in survival mode and actually occupy a role that allows us to survive. So I'll name them quickly, but the link will be, again, available after the podcast. There's the scapegoat, the protector of the family, there's the family clown, the family hero, and the forgotten child, right? So a lot of us sometimes fall into those different roles. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
Don Bradshaw, in his book, Healing the Shame That Binds You, makes a really great exploration of that. It helps you understand how to recognize your pattern and how to change the patterns of addiction as well. So it's a really great read if you guys ever get to that. Yeah, um, I love I love that book, by the way. That was right? one of the first books I had to read as part of my master's, one of my addictions courses. Yeah. So good. Oh. You know, it is a bit it is a bit older and some pieces are outdated, mm-hmm. but overall the message is so helpful to give that different perspective of what happened and what's happening mm-hmm. and why people are feeling so much shame. So yeah. thank you for bringing that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I find it so normalizing, right? And yeah, I so mm-hmm. agree with you. Um, and so if we go to the space of codependence, right, and childhood and, and what Bradshaw brings in, there's this idea of scapegoat, right, which is the problem child. So my observation is a lot of the people that I've worked with, not all, but there's a few of them who've had a pattern of, quote unquote, the problem child. And oftentimes that person is the person who is sensitive, who's emotionally intelligent, who's aware of what's going on, and is trying to respond to the problem either by calling it out verbally or through their behavior, right? So they might um, be the person who's consistently sick, or they might be the person who um, is having uh, behaviors that are not pro-social, behaviors that are not helpful or hanging out with the quote-unquote uh, wrong crowd, which is really just the hurt crowd, right? So mm-hmm. they might kind of be doing all those behaviors because they're trying to call an SOS message to their family that, hey, there's a problem and I am being the martyr here and I'm putting myself in the situation of trying to help you guys understand what's going on. For a lot of people, that's not conscious. That's actually subconscious. Um, and also, this is just a side note, but I find also interesting how sometimes for some of those people, finding their purpose can be a challenge because for a long time, their purpose was to try to fix their family, right? Um, or try to survive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if their lens is constantly on someone else, how do yeah. they ever learn to think about what their needs are or what they actually want to do in life or yeah. what? why are they on earth? Why? What's their purpose? So that's an absolute struggle for people coming out of that codependent pattern. Yes. So you were mentioned, you're mentioning how these patterns usually happen subconsciously in terms mm-hmm. of survival. Mm-hmm. How do we make these patterns more conscious mm-hmm. so that we can do something about it? Absolutely. Well, number one is listening to this podcast. <laughs> um. And then there's also obviously work with a mental health professional. That's that's not a should. That, that's a, that's a have to. Like it's something that needs to happen um, so that you can stay aware of what's going on for you. And um, when you're ready to kind of make those changes is to educate yourself, right? So, for example, the link that I shared, maybe looking into that and understanding where your behaviors are. And then when you realize, okay, I'm really willing to make a change and I don't want to behave in a codependent pattern anymore, then you have to transition. And transition, again, is connected to grief, which Kinga mentioned, which is connected sometimes to feeling of de- feelings of depression, which are normal and okay, right? It's just like surfing. At first, it might be really scary, the big wave, and then eventually you learn to master them and do those cool moves. So it's okay, right? So um, one thing I would encourage everybody to do is to uh, make a huge print and like post it on your wall, every single wall in your house, is the Bill of Assertive Rights. Right. So for a lot of people who've learned that their opinion doesn't matter, that their presence is not important um, or whatever unhelpful belief they've had, reviewing the Bill of Assertive Rights can be really helpful. So, for example, in that you have something like 
you have the right to say, I don't know, or you have the right to change your mind, or that's a really intense one. You have the right to make mistakes and be responsible for for them, right? And um, so those are all things sometimes that we feel, you know, if you come from a codependent dance where someone's always taking responsibility for you, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do and say, I made this mistake, I am going to fix it, right? Um, and I want to own that, right? And so um, that can be something. Or you have the right to say, I don't care, right? If you're used to being the person who takes care of others all the time, and now someone is doing a huge tantrum in front of you because you decided to say no, you're allowed to say, I don't care. So this can feel like, I can see some people just like their eyes just going huge and being like, what are you talking about? How can I ever say or do that? That's a terrible thing to do. But this is kind of like learning a new language, right? So if you want to speak another language, the best thing you can do is go to another country and to find an instructor in that country that's going to educate you on the language while you're immersed in it, right? So right now in your family of origin saying, I don't understand, or, um, you know, I changed my mind is going to be seen as a sin, is going to be seen as this terrible thing that makes you a horrible person. But if you change the environment, you might actually notice that it's not that dangerous and it's actually safe to say no, right? Um, so I can keep blabbering on, but I'm wondering if you have any other observations to share. Yeah, so I'm just wondering how, I love this analogy of going to, like actually going to a new country and learning a new language, mm-hmm. but obviously people aren't going to be doing that. So where can <laughs> people go to practice these new skills? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of healthier communication. Mm-hmm. Well, another country. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so it's going to be <laughs> uh, potentially something like meetup. I really like meetup as a really great place to practice, right? Because it's a hobby-based community, meetup.com. And so if you like volleyball, if you like painting, if you like debating, if you like wall climbing, bungee jumping, whatever it is, right? There's a group for that, right? So what you do is you go on meetup area in your neighborhood and you find the interests, the the groups that are there and you find a group to connect with. So let's say you choose, I'm going to join a hiking group because I love nature and then everybody have anybody to hike with. So you join that group and then everybody afterwards are going out for ice cream and you don't want to, you get to practice saying no. Right. And so Mm -hmm. this is a really safe place to do it because you don't know these people. You have nothing associated to them. Right. And if you realize, you know what, the hiking Mm -hmm. group, I thought they were a healthy group, but as I'm working with my therapist, I noticed that there's a toxic pattern that's not helpful for me. I noticed that I'm constantly drained and I'm dreading going. That's okay. You drop him, you find a new group. You know what? Let's go and try Mambo. I'm going to join a Mambo group, mm-hmm. right? So then there's no attachment there because there's so many other options to go and connect with other people and practice the same skills until you become versed in the language of assertiveness. Mm-hmm. So how would someone know if they're falling back into their kind of susceptibility to codependency? What are some signs for them to look out for? Absolutely. That's a genius question. It's such an important question. And one to really focus and pay attention to is um, your trauma response, right? So oftentimes when we think of like trauma, we think, oh, there's a bear, I'm going to die, right? So Mm -hmm. oftentimes people think of trauma as like a natural catastrophe, but trauma can actually be emotional, right? If you're constantly rejected or neglected or 
um, mm. criticized, right? That's also trauma and it's emotional trauma. You can actually get PTSD from that, believe it or not, right? So what happens is whenever we have those trauma responses, our body our physic, our bodies are going to change. The way our bodies feel is going to change and the way our personality is, is going to change. Um, so for example, if let's say that at home, the way that you stopped argument as a little kid was by fawning, right? So there's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Fawn is to give in, hmm. right? So um, hmm. that might be, you know, being like a people pleaser. Okay, 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 you're right. Let me take care of you. And so you might notice that hmm. you used to be this happy-go-lucky person, and all of a sudden, you have like 20 people that you're taking care of, plus 20 projects at work, plus this and that, and you never have time for yourself. And you're constantly overwhelmed and tired and feeling pulled by 20 directions. Well, that's like codependent on steroids, right? And you just went back to that place because something triggered you. And so once Mm -hmm. you start understanding that, you can make different decisions, right? And that's where having a therapist is really helpful because it might help you identify, hey, why are you helping so many people right now? What Mm -hmm. happened before you started helping all these people, right? So um, another link Mm -hmm. that I would really encourage all of you to look at is Trauma personality types, when you Google it, there's a lot of really great resources on it. Um, And you might notice, for example, that you might get more drained or you might get more aggressive or you might start micromanaging more or trying to control everything, right? Or constantly feeling like there's something that's going to attack you. You don't know what it is. It's just there's something off, right? So um, that's those are just some of the things. Just like when you notice that you're on edge, and you're like on survival and there's something mm-hmm. off, you're, you're going to feel it in your body. Um, that's probably telling you that um, you've been triggered. Mm-hmm. So I think another big thing that you're saying, but not actually saying the word <laughs> of it is self-awareness and mindfulness. Yes. And I know that it's such a big component of Trafalgar's program is to increase your self-awareness of what's going on, your your body, your feelings, your reactions, your thoughts, because the more you're aware of it, the more opportunities you have to respond to these things rather than react, because we can't control what thoughts come up. We can't necessarily control what feelings come up. But if we're in a constant practice of noticing and being aware without judging, then we have... um, a greater opportunity to kind of course correct before it leads down that path of our old behaviors. Mm, so, so I'm good. So I really love this. Um, I, I'm going to check it out. I haven't actually checked out this personality chart, mm-hmm. but just to increase our knowledge of what these old patterns might look like so that we can, I don't want to say stay on guard, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, be more mindful of, oh, okay, if I'm feeling this way, then what's going on? Am I falling into an old pattern? Am I consistently or constantly saying yes, rather than actually considering my needs in the situation? So thank you so much for sharing that resource. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, that brings something else about Trafalgar. They encourage a lot, like you said, the mindfulness and mm-hmm. the journaling, like mm-hmm. there's, you know, science supports the value and the importance of journaling. And there's a book called, um, what is it? The success. Oh, now I forget what it is. Habits of highly successful. Hmm. The miracle morning. That's what it is. (laughs) So there's a book called the miracle morning by Hal Mm -hmm. Elrod. And in that book, he talks about the habits that successful people have. And one of Mm -hmm. them is to journal constantly, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be mindful 
right? You need time aside for that to think and to process, right? And with that mindfulness, if you combine journaling, you can go ahead and ask yourself those questions, right? So why am I acting this way? Today, I'm feeling really anxious and stressed. And so you're taking like 15 minutes of your day just to process what happened. And as you do that, you're actually questioning what's going on and you're interrogating yourself and learning that mindfulness and that self-awareness so that you can actually catch something before it goes, you know, into a spiral that's harder to come out of. Um, so journaling to combine with the mindfulness is is very key to this habits of very successful people. So, um, so yeah, so definitely another book interesting. To- and I know, and Go journaling as well is such a good way to stop ourselves from ruminating. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it's oh, so easy to have that thought loop. But when we write it down, then it there's more clarity to okay, I this thought is redundant, or wait, there's other information like you said that. I'm able to, to analyze your probe. Mm. So thank you. Thanks again. I love all the tidbits you're saying. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. And no, I so agree with you. Journaling is like, it's, it's powerful. And as we're talking about journaling, so as you can tell, I'm a nerd. I love information. There's another book. It's called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess by Dr. Caroline Leaf. And she actually, it's a recent book. And she talks about five steps to, so she's a, psych, a psychiatrist. And I think she was one of the pioneers in actually coming up with the concept of neuroplasticity. So I'm a big fangirl. I love the brain. Um, and she came up with a recent, <laughs> um, a recent uh, process that is five steps to question your thoughts and can actually create uh, connections in your brain from the brain, the right hemisphere to the left hemisphere. So you can actually um, heal and process information in a more helpful way. So it's like five steps. Um, to ask yourself questions whenever you get triggered, um, to be able to kind of make sense of it and heal from it. So it's different from CBT, but another great mm-hmm. book uh, to look into. And it also comes with an app that asks the questions for you so that you can process them um, on your own. I'm going to check that out. That's new information. For me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no worries. It's really recent. Like it's like, I think a couple years old is that. So, yeah. All right. So one, um, I don't want to say quick because I don't want to put a time limit on it. <laughs> and you did talk about this briefly. Um, but overall, I'm wondering if someone is moving from a codependent relationship or codependent group, how are they able to create a more meaningful connection with mm. another person or another group? Yeah. So again, Hold, you know, like find a good therapist. Um, that's going to be a big one to be able to process your feelings. So at the beginning, you know, secure is going to feel weird, mm-hmm. right? So we all have different attachment styles. Mm-hmm. Um, understanding your attachment style, you can look at Bowden, B-O-W-D-E-N. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and he talks about the four different attachment styles. And what you'll notice is if you're used to an attachment style, it's very explosive and insecure. Connecting with secure people who respect you is going to feel boring, dull, and maybe uninteresting or even unsafe because it's new, right? So again, mm-hmm. it's going to be like riding the wave, right? And jo- going into different meetups and connecting with people and forcing yourself to connect with people is going to be helpful. Um, one thing that I'll encourage you is, again, go back to your Bill of Assertive Rights. And there's also another book that I really like. It's called Safe People by Henry Cloud. And in that book, it really identifies mm-hmm. what healthy behaviors are and toxic behaviors are so that if you're not familiar with them, it's going to help you to kind of have like a bit of a reference book reference point as you learn to build relationships with people. And another great one is how to have that Mm -hmm. difficult conversation so that as you're learning conflict management, 
um, again, by the same author, Henry Cloud, so that when you're managing challenges, it doesn't feel as scary to you because you know how to communicate your um, your disagreements or your needs. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to expand on that, uh, I think another term that is used a lot that might be helpful to bring up in today's podcast is boundaries. Ooh. Because when we yes. know our needs, mm-hmm. right, then we're able, when we know where we start and where we end, then it's a lot easier to say no or to know if someone's crossing those boundaries. So I think going back to what you initially said about forgetting yourself and codependency, mm-hmm. yeah. it's like building yourself back up, finding your identi- identity, knowing yes. who you are versus who you're not. And with that, your boundary building and by practicing that self-awareness, noticing when people are crossing that boundary or when you're not implementing your boundary. Yes. And then I think that that buffer you create of boundary, it's not Ooh. to be rigid. It's not to, you know, be standoffish. It's like, no, this is who I am in the world. There you go. <laughs> and I think that's part of owning your recovery. Yes, 100%. Knowing who you are and mm-hmm. getting to the point where you're not afraid to be who you are and embracing who you are. Preach. And that's the most beautiful place you want to be, right? It's being who you are and owning it and being proud of that person and welcoming mm-hmm. the people who celebrate you and saying, have a nice day and have a nice life to whoever doesn't and not take it personal. They're just not a match for you. And mm-hmm. we release them with love and joy. And we welcome those who celebrate who we really are, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes that won't be family mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. We can't choose our family. So. We can't choose our family, but we can create a family of choice. And I so love you, that. Yeah. And so you can choose who's going to be your support system, right? Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And it's just a reminder pleasure. for those listening that all of this is a process, mm-hmm. right? So all of these things that you're learning today and hearing might be for a second time, third time, maybe the first time, mm-hmm. but it's all to increase your awareness so that you can make better choices and get to that certain point. Because life is a journey. I, mm-hmm. My personal yeah. belief is that we don't stop learning until the day we die. Mm, preach I agree (laughs) so thank you so much Lydia it's been such a joy and it's been so insightful to have you on the podcast today and I I hope you can join us another time in the future I would love that and it was my pleasure this was really fun and uh, yeah I'm always glad to share so yeah thank you so much have a beautiful day you too